Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, I always love Christmas. I love preaching about Christmas. I'm convinced that if you can recover the reality of what Christmas means, you can change your entire uh, faith journey. And I mean that, man, you're looking good. You look really good. Good to see you. Uh, if you can change and, and recover this story that's become so familiar and, and so marketed and so uh, even people that aren't Christians celebrate Christmas. Did you know that? Even non-Christians uh, celebrate this story. And if we could recover the truth of it, if we could recover the reality of it, I think we could probably change the world again. If you got your Bible, I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 9, read two verses right there, and they're familiar to you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. I think we get them on the screen. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. Say, there will be no end. Wow. And He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time forward and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word of the Lord. Stand with me this morning. I'm going to read out of the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to read from the second chapter of Luke. I'm going to read several verses here, about 10 or 11 verses. Verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quinarius was the governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. <coughs> then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Father, I pray this morning that our hearts would be so open afresh that, Lord, we would almost forget what we're familiar to with and that we would allow you to re-imprint upon our hearts the reality of the incarnation and the birth of your Son into this world and into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. 
Again, everybody knows this story and everybody has seen these scenes played out in front of them. We've dressed our children up. We just have all these scenes everywhere. And the interesting thing is that everybody always has a side to a story. I, I think I continually learn this lesson over and over again, right? One of my grandchildren run up to me and they say, well, and they tell me he pushed, she shoved, whatever, right? But you never want to bite on that first thought. Because there's always another side to this story. I mean, you know, this one doesn't tell you what they did before that one. So you, you never want to bite on that first part of the story because there's always more to that story than that post, that Instagram, that Twitter. There's always more to the story than that little snapshot that comes to you, that little scene. There's always more to that. You can't judge everything by that scene. A- Annie she'll be sitting in the living room with me and there'll be a scene that comes on and it, it may be too manly or shooting up and she'll leave the whole movie miss the whole great stuff. she won't watch Yellowstone with me at all I mean she will not watch it because there's a scene or two there and I keep saying honey you're missing the best part because the scene that is just a part you never want to evaluate your life based on one scene of your life, right? I mean, Joseph's story is a great picture. He gets thrown in a pit, and then he gets thrown in the prison. But if you stop watching at the pit and the prison, you'll forget and won't see that he went to the palace so that he could prepare for the children of Israel to come, right? David's, you, you don't want to think you know David if you've met him in the sheep pasture. You don't want to think you've met David if you see him killing Goliath or a bear. You, you, you want to wait till you see David when he's singing the Psalms, you know, the Christmas is the same way. People have a picture of the manger, but, but that's just one scene. They have a picture of this donkey ride and they have this picture of shepherds and swaddling clothes and they're pretty scenes, but, but they're just one scene. The, my most favorite story and my most favorite scene is the scene of this angel and then the multitude of hosts. The the best part of the whole thing for me is heaven filled with the host of heaven saying glory to God on the highest and on earth peace to those upon whom my favor rests. Peace, the announcement from heaven, the breaking news in the midst of a broken world. We in a broken world need some breaking news and we need to hear it from on high. We don't need to hear it from on low. We need new news that comes that says peace to you upon whom my favor. I'm convinced that until you know that you are the favorite of God, you'll never be able to tune in to the breaking news. If you think that God's still after you or you've been shaped and molded to believe that God's an accountant or a judge, you'll never be able to hear the voice from on high. Only those who understand they are favored. Look at your neighbor and say, I am favored. Until you understand that you're favored, you'll never be able to tune in to have ears to hear the good news that God wants to do you good and not do you harm, that he wants to bring you peace. The scenes of the story. He didn't stay in the manger. He didn't stay in the carpenter shop. He didn't stay in the wilderness. Uh, He didn't just keep itinerating and doing miracles and teaching. He faced Herod and Pilate and the Pharisees, but that's not all. He confronted demons. He, He confronted leprosy. He overturned tables. Some people followed and some people didn't. He didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay on the tomb. I mean, if you don't follow this through, you'll never understand that he sits in your heart. 
You'll never understand that the announcement of the child of God that was born in Bethlehem, the prince of peace that came to establish a government of which there would be no end, that king lives and reigns in the heart of those that accept him. He went to the upper room, but he didn't stay in the upper room. He went to Galilee, but he didn't stay in Galilee. He's seated on a throne in heaven and seated on the throne of your heart all at the same time. You have to be able to imagine these scenes that go on. Some of you ought to be celebrating because the scene or the season of your life that you're in right now is not the final scene. Some of you need to be shouting because this snapshot of my life is not a full picture of who I am. If you walk into Annie and I's home, you're going to find pictures hanging on the wall. Very few of them came from Hobby Lobby. I go to people's houses and they look like they bought that wall from Hobby Lobby. And it's beautiful. You walk into our house and it's a picture of her and of me and of this kid when we had that kid and that kid when we had this kid. And the whole big wall's filled with the picture from 1992 to 2022. I'm here to tell you that our, the pictures that hang in our home are not of Hobby Lobby because I don't really care whether you like this matching with this. The story of our life, our home is a story of our family. And the older we get, the more I want to tell the grandchildren the snapshots and the scenes of their grandmother and I and how God has moved in our lives to bring us to this point. To tell them how we came to Christ, heard from Christ, and were moved from here to here to here to here. And our home tells that story. Hanging in our home, if there's any pictures, and there are some, they came from you. If you turn them over and read on the back of them, they came from Anita in 1993. If you pick up a cup on the bottom of it, it says, somebody handed this on my birthday. You see, everything in our lives should tell the story of his story and how they've interrelated into our lives. Our refrigerator is better than the Louvre in Paris. You didn't get it. On our refrigerator, we've had a new refrigerator for about two weeks. I kept saying, honey, it's, there's something wrong with the refrigerator. It just doesn't look right. Something wrong with the refrigerator. And I'd find myself standing out in the garage looking at the old refrigerator because it had the picture of this kid and had this painting and this deal and this deal. And I couldn't, I'd get up in the middle of the night and I'd almost be like this because I couldn't. But now that refrigerator is beginning to be a work of art. You see, the scenes, the snapshots of our lives are molded together to tell a greater story. And you never want to just look at 2020 or 2021 and think this is the end. It's just a snapshot. And woven into the tapestries of our life, you'll be able to shout about what God has done and is doing. You have to continue to remind yourself of those scenes. I'm convinced that most people look at the seasons of the church and they forget the reality of that story that impacts today. And will change us if we'll allow the breaking news from heaven to bust into a broken world and change our lives. It's news that comes from on high. It's news that will never come from the sources of this world. But it's news that will come from the spirit of the living God that lives and reigns on the inside of you. It'll come not through the flesh and blood of the mind, but through the spirit of the father that lives on the inside. And the way you validate that news is that it doesn't come from a heart that's broken. It comes from a God that loves everybody unconditionally and wants their very best and their highest. It'll never be an announcement of judgment. It'll always be an announcement of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. If you tune into that message that comes from the favorable world of heaven, you'll be able to break through the brokenness and the trauma of your life and recover whatever the scene is. You see, at the moment of the birth of Christ... The world was broken. Caesar was raising taxes. 
Pilate was killing any resistance to Caesar's law. You have to understand that Herod was in cahoots with both Caesar and Pilate. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots, they would meet together and try to figure out how to push back against that, and they couldn't agree. Is there a resurrection? Is there not a resurrection? Should we buy a sword? Should we not have a sword? They couldn't come into agreement. The priest had sold out just trying to protect the temple sacrificial system, and they couldn't imagine that God would come to change and end that and begin something new. I mean, the world was filled with droughts and leprosies and plagues. It was immoral. They were throwing women at the feet of Christ. They were coming to him and challenging him in their despair. There was oppression of the demonic. He was casting them out. They were, their mental illness was running rampant. And into the midst of the brokenness of that moment, breaking news came from heaven. Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. You do understand that in 2021, this world is broken. This world is broken in the same ways that it was broken over 2,000 years ago. The same mess that was taking place in Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Judea was the same thing that's taking place today. There are evil forces at play that hate us. The enemy hates the image of God. The enemy hates every image of God. And if he can get one image of God to dislike another image of God, then you'll destroy each other. So he'll create division and conflict among us so that we will harm each other. And in the midst of that brokenness comes this announcement of the Christ, the Savior, the King, the government that will never end, this peace, this favor on earth as it is in heaven. Shalom, shalom, wholeness be unto you, security be unto you, rest be unto you, all that I have be unto you, shalom. Peace is not the absence of war, it's actually the presence of the king. In the midst and the conflicts of this world, if Christ is allowed to have room in our lives, in spite of the conflicts that go around us, we'll live in peace. Dr. Morrison says it's the possession of adequate resources. If you've ever been without resources, when you get resources, you're at peace. Peace. Gloria Copeland says it's nothing missing, nothing broken. Malcolm Smith says, everything that makes man the highest and the best, that is peace. You see, peace comes to heal the broken, trauma, abused, misused, forgotten, marginalized of this world, the left out and the broken. You see, peace is the only answer to the trauma that we bring upon ourselves. Peace is the only thing that can heal and reach and restore humanity that's been destroyed by a brother or a sister. You see, peace comes to the immigrant. Peace comes to the black and to the white. Peace comes to women and to men. Peace comes into the people that we've forgotten. Peace comes to those people who we pass laws to protect ourselves against. Peace comes right into their lives to restore them back into the image of God. It is us that get caught up in the perils and the disgusting comparisons of this world in the midst of God breaking into our life to bring peace to people that you don't like, to bring peace to people that we've dismissed, to bring peace to people that we have forgotten. You see, once we understand that God comes to bring peace, then we understand that he doesn't just give peace to the people that have... You ever heard of double trauma? 
double trauma. So here's somebody that has been, that they've been abused. There's trauma. But if they get angry and react to that and hurt somebody else, that's double trauma. Not only have they got trauma, but now they have trauma. Most of the time we react to the misuses that we've experienced by misusing somebody else and now we got doubled the trouble because we didn't know how to stay at peace and love our enemies even as we love ourselves. So we have a world that's in conflict with each other. We have a world that's fighting and vying. And into that Roman culture comes this Christ. Just a few miles south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, The city of peace. In the city of bread comes Jesus. Just south of the city of peace. And he comes and the announcements from heaven is that this man comes to bring peace. Acts chapter 10, 36 says he went about preaching peace to everyone, to the Jew and to the Gentiles, to the inside, to the outside, to the enemies and to the foes. He comes preaching peace to everybody. And say he, he preached peace far and near. And then Paul says he himself is our peace. That he went on the cross to pay for our sins and our transgressions. That the chastisement of our peace was upon him. That he reconciled the whole world unto himself by taking all that was wrong and putting it upon himself. And that to us who do not deserve to be at peace with God or suddenly at peace with God because he's going to pay the price on Calvary so that we can cry, Abba, Father, peace. The presence of God that comes into our lives. The peace, the presence of God that comes into our trauma. If you've ever, come on, we're, we're fairly simple people, right? We got up this morning and we were either sad or we were mad or we were happy. And we judge our days. This was a good day because today I wasn't as sad as I was yesterday. Or I'm not quite as mad as I was the day before. Or I'm happy. We, and the truth of the matter is, is that we're far more complex than those three feelings. Sometimes I'm anxious. Sometimes I'm excited. They're not the same. Sometimes I'm anxious, but I'm not really worried. I'm just concerned. Sometimes I'm completely overwhelmed. Sometimes it's, I'm just comfortable, Right? I'm not overexcited. See, we're, we're far more complex, but most of the time we reduce our emotions. And could I just tell you that we are emotional people, not nearly as intellectual as we like to think we are. We'd like to think that we can weigh out every situation and respond according to how the facts are presented. But generally we respond to however we are feeling emotionally at that moment, right? We're really not angry with him or with her, but that's how we feel today. So it doesn't matter whether they said hello or whether they said goodbye. We just respond out of the feeling and the emotion. Did you know Jesus will come into the midst of your emotions? He'll come into the midst of that chaos and that confusion of their emotions and he'll begin to restore that brokenhearted. He'll come to pull apart those feelings so that you can understand. If you can become aware of his presence in the midst of passing emotions, you can experience the healing of God to those things. He comes to bring peace. He comes to restore friendship. You do understand that friendship is the way we should be relating to God and also to one another that friendship is given, not earned. That friendship is always present. That even if you don't like him, he's still friends with you. That friendship is not a feeling or emotion, but that friendship is a state and a place and a being, a place beside him. 
He came to take our sin. He came to take our brokenness. He came to take our wounded souls. He came to take our trauma and put it upon himself. And when you look at the cross, you see the results of the behaviors that we've had towards one another. That's what we've been doing to each other for thousands and thousands of years. And he takes and puts that on display and says, this is what living outside of my presence looks like. This is what it looks like when you treat each other the way you feel. This is what it looks like when you react to the traumas of this life. And he takes our brokenness and he breaks it. He takes our brokenness into his own life. When he got through debating with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and trying to calm the zealots down, when he got through with reading the scriptures to them in the temple and trying to explain to them that he was the one who was to come, when he could no longer talk to them intellectually, he finally surrendered himself and said, I'll make peace with you, not by destroying you, but by dying for you. Do you understand how powerful it is that the Prince of Peace establishes peace and reconciles us to himself by surrendering to us and by allowing... All of this comes from glory to God on the highest, on earth, peace upon whom my favor rests. All of it begins with this scene that his intent and his purpose for coming to us was to manifest to us his love for us in such a way that it brings peace to our troubled souls. Christmas is a time when we should remember to make room for this prince that comes to make peace with us. Peace. He became sin that we could become right with him right. Am am, am I right with you? That righteousness to be in right standing with someone. Listen, Annie and I have known each other 47 going on 48 years. We've been married this year 45 years. 45 years. Man. Did you know we are right with one another? We, We are right with one another. Doesn't mean we always like one another. I mean some days are good and some days are in fact there's been seasons I'm not sure she could stand the sight of me right but just because we didn't like each other doesn't mean we're not right just because we disagree with one another doesn't mean we're not right see we're right with one another because we have favor with one another because we're in love with one another in such a way that you don't have to meet my conditions for me to like you but I like you in spite of the fact that you may not meet my conditions that's called unconditional love the only way you stay married for 45 years is if you make up your mind and swear to your own hurt and never change that's the only way it happens in fact many people move from relationship to relationship because they've never realized that they're not going to get to marry God on this side of heaven And I can't be God to you, nor can she be God to me. We're in right standing with one another. Do you know that if if mom and dad are right at home, the house is at peace? Oh, well. That if mom and dad are right with each other, those children will go to bed tonight and they'll sleep well. If mom and dad get up and they're right with one another, can I tell you the number of times that, 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 that we were right with one another, but we weren't getting along? To understand that you don't always have to get along to be right. Isaiah chapter 32 verse 17 says the fruit, the product of righteousness will be peace. When you're in right standing with one another, there's peace. Even if there's conflict. 
in the midst of righteousness, in the midst of right standing. Jesus came so that we would be in right standing with God, not because we had earned it, but because of his love for us. And the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence. The NIV says it like this, you'll live in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Say undisturbed. Over the last several years, I've come to realize we need to live undisturbed by the disturbing things of this world. We need to be able to live in the midst of a broken world who has received the breaking news that God is at hand. Listen, a couple of months ago, I was on a beach. Anybody ever been in a beach that was so, I mean, I was on a beach that was white, and the water was so clear, it was blue, and the breezes were blowing the palm. Everybody, if you've never been there, I'm going to pray that you get to go there. And I'm reading some stupid novel that I'm not even going to, probably a Patterson. And I'm reading this novel, and I kind of sit up off of that chair, and the Lord speaks to me and says, you're going to live here. And I'm thinking, what about Anne? Because <laughs> I know she ain't leaving them 11 grandkids. She, there's, they bought, she's prayed them all back home, and she ain't leaving. And, and I'm thinking, wow, this is, whoa. I mean, I love Kansas, but mmm. Mmm, right? And so I shake it off as, as, you know, like it was a taco. And I shake it off. And I get up and I walk out into that lagoon and that water's here and it's blowing. And I turn around and look at the palm trees. The Lord says, you're going to live here. And I'm thinking, ah, what is this? What about Ann? I go back and have you ever taken a nap on the beach? If you've never taken a nap, you need to learn how to take naps on beaches. It's just people always ask me, what do you do when you go there? Nothing. Abs, it's just rest. I don't, I'm not going to Orlando and ride rides. I don't care. I want to go do nothing. And I wake up from the nap, and the Lord says, you're going to live here in my peace, in my rest, in my undisturbed. Do you understand that he wasn't talking to me about a location? He was talking to me about a state of mind. He was talking to me about an atmosphere, about how to live in a broken world with the breaking news that you're at peace. You see, the trouble today is not what's going on in the world, it's about what's going on inside of you. The trouble today is not what's happening out here in the world, it's about what's happening in here. To live in this state, I'm telling you, you ought to see the sand in my heart. You ought to see the waves that come crashing across the edges of my soul and hear the breezes that comes blowing through you. You're going to live in this place of shalom, shalom, worthy security. Uh, listen, the best picture I can give you, I'm going to get on a plane in a couple days and we're going to go to 37,000 feet and, and that, that thing's built by the lowest bidder called Boeing. I remember years ago, I was getting ready to get on a plane, and we were doing work at Boeing, and my daddy said, you know you're getting on a plane that was built by the lowest bidder? That didn't make me feel good. That guy on the rivet line, I hope he had a good day. I hope he was happy and not mad. But when you get up to about 37,000 feet, the pressure that's at 37,000 feet, if the inside of that plane is not pressurized equal to pressure on the outside, that fuselage will collapse. Not a good day. See, until the presence of God is as strong on the inside of you 
as the pressure of the world is on the outside of you, you will not be in a good place. And most people never spend enough time to allow the presence of God on the inside to equal the pressure of the things on the outside. I could say the same thing about a submarine if you need a different picture. If you put that submarine too far underwater. And can I tell you, you're never going to live in this world without troubles, trials, tribulations. You're going to have to go high and you're going to have to go low. And there's going to be pressure in every place you go. You're never going to move to somewhere greener. I wanted to go to the Bahamas. But there would be pressure there. The question this morning is, had the peace of God, the Prince of Peace, so taken up His presence in your heart that the pressures of the world around you no longer matter? You see, I'm convinced until there is an internal transformation, there'll never be an external manifestation of the presence of God. Until you take the time to sit in the quiet stillness I told a few men the other day, I said, it's hard to sit in silence when yourself, when you don't like you. Many people have trouble sitting in silence with themselves because they're not like themselves very much. And so they want to get away from that. But until you can sit in silence with yourself and with the one that's come for you, there can never be an internal transformation. And if you continue to see a manifestation of the emotions that run this world through the life of yourself or other people, the answer begins with the internal silence of sitting in the night and hearing the angels say, peace to you. You see, contemplation, contemplative prayer, meditation is the source, the means by which you sit in silence with a God who can then begin to go through those traumatic experiences and break through those disappointments and those false expectations and begin to settle you into the reality that you are highly favored. And you can live in peace with God and with yourself. And you can begin to assimilate those things that have happened. But most of the time, have you ever been distracted while you were trying to pray? Just me. Have you ever just tried to sit silently with God and all you could remember was the next load of laundry that you need? Or that you'd forgotten to take the trash down and you know it's overflowing? Or that phone call. You ever just tried to sit in silence for five minutes? This is why most Pentecostals can't be still. Because if they shut up, they're distracted. You do understand silence is the language of heaven. Sorry. Silence is the language of heaven. No one's else been distracted. I, I sit down and try to be quiet, and, and I get distracted. Have you, have you ever watched children under the age of 10? Let me tell you. I realize that emotional scientists just begin to understand that, that, that we're ADD. Can I tell you, at five, we were all ADD. Squirrel. I, I mean, my grandchildren, I, 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 am, I am their number one toy sometimes. As long as you've taken away the iPhone, Pops is pretty popular. But if the iPhone, never been distracted. You ever feel bad that you couldn't seem to focus and so you just quit? Because you had, you, interesting thing about distractions. Children, my grandchildren get distracted all the time, but they always come back to Pops. It's interesting. They run off and then pretty soon they're right here and they want a cookie or something, whatever. I mean, they all, when they want something, they're right, they're right back here. <laughs> distractions. You ever felt ashamed because of your distractions, particularly in your relationship with God? And then it dawned on me. 
With every distraction, there's the opportunity to return. And the joy of returning. I mean, listen, the prodigal son got distracted by what was over there, but, but when he got undistracted, guess who was waiting? Father's always waiting. See, religion wants you to focus on the stupidity of your own distraction, but God wants you to recognize he's just waiting for your return. So if you're in prayer and you keep getting distracted, quit beating yourself up because you get distracted. Just enjoy the return. And so sometimes I get to enjoy the return 30 times in five minutes. (laughs) But I've learned to couch it in a different way. The enemy wants to point out how distracted I am, but the Holy Spirit wants to point out how attentive he is to my return. See, don't stop attempting to sit in silence. Enjoy the distractions, enjoy the return. But it's because if you can focus on sitting in his presence, his peace will so overwhelm you. And when his peace overwhelms you and that contemplation becomes your reaction to the brokenness of the world rather than your anger. You see, what's really happening is people are responding to this outside by sharing their opinions. And can I tell you your opinion? So what's going on out there doesn't matter. What matters is whether or not the Prince of Peace has taken up such residence on the inside of you that it's making you as you should be-ness. See, in those silent moments with God, I recognize the Quentin should be-ness. And I, I see glimpses of how Quentin should be. And, and maybe sometimes I even am. But I promise you that someday all of that should be-ness that he intended will happen, but now it's kind of like playing. Peace is that seeing the potential that this scene of my life is not the final scene, that he's moving through the scenes of my life and he's going to fully mold me and shape me. And the peace that comes and the knowledge that he's working inside of me, mm, in spite of my distractive nature, Isaiah goes on to say that my kindness and my peace will never be removed. Do you you understand that this peace that was announced, that was prophesied by Isaiah, will never be taken away? You can never disturb God in such a way that he removes you from his presence. He is always in your life to reveal his peace, his kindness, and his goodness to you. That peace is irreversible. And then when I read that scripture that says, great shall be the peace of my children. Then I realize all this effort, this pain, this distraction, this soul searching that has gone on in my life, that as I come and rise to wherever I may think I'm at, that this peace that I get glimpses of and maybe allow to shape me, that I can transfer that to my children. Great will be the peace of your children. Listen, we've run a child care center here for 26 years. I've watched therapists and counselors and people come in and out of here, and they come and they do this, and they're, I, listen, I've sat in on trainings trying to help that child and I'm standing in the background going, if you don't help mom, you'll never help her. If you don't help dad, you'll never help him. 
because I watched them walk in here and I watched them walk out and the parents have transmitted the very emotion. And you see, transferred trauma will just increase generationally. I'm not a big one about generational curses, but I do understand that you can transfer anger from one generation to another. You can transfer trauma to one generation to the other. So if you don't, in your generation, sit in the stillness of God and let God bring you healing in the midst of your brokenness, you will transfer that on to your next children. And can I tell you something? I don't care how many counselors or educated people they bring in here, they'll never resolve that until that generational reality is broken by the announcement that God is the Prince of Peace and He comes to give us peace. We've ordered a new one, by the way just isn't here yet. It's somewhere on a boat outside of LA being shipped from China. And we need to pray that the supply store, never mind, sorry. Squirrel distraction, right? We transfer the peace that we've obtained to the next generation called our children. It's irreversible and it's transmittable. And the angel said, peace be unto you. And right before he went to the cross, he said, my peace. Not as the world gives, but my peace I give to you. The peace that the Christ must have had to die on a cross. The peace that he must have had to endure the rejection of the world. The peace that must have been in him as he received the broken traumas of the world and generations and yet remained at peace with the Father. He said, my peace not as the world gives, do I give unto you, John 14. And then these two words that have encouraged me for 40 years, my peace, not as the world gives, do I give unto you. Let not your heart, let not your emotions, let not your feelings disturb you. Do you understand that it is your choice today to receive the peace that God has offered or to reject it? It is your choice. And that choice is empowered if you live in a community that says his peace is for you. That the deeper your relationships go with others who are walking in that peace, the easier it will be for you to receive that peace into your life. In fact, one translation says, stop allowing yourself to be agitated. I would like to shout that to America. Stop allowing yourself to be agitated by people that are different from you. Stop allowing yourself to be disturbed by people that may not agree with you. Stop being agitated about the fact that someone hurt you. Stop hurting other people. But start loving those that have mistreated. Bless those that curse you. I mean, Dr. King said something like this. Hate will never drive out hate, but love can destroy hate. Let not your heart be troubled. Stop being so agitated. And then one translation says, I have deprived it of its power to do you harm. You see, when the peace of God is strong enough on the inside of you, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But this takes a process. He announces who he is, but we have to watch him reveal who he is over 33 years. 
I hear people all the time saying, such a short time. And I think, no, it's a long time to get the Prince of Peace here in the flesh. And then it takes him 33 and a half years to unveil himself and show you that peace dies for its enemies. That if you want real peace, you've got to die for those that have done you harm. Oh, Christmas is more than decorations on a pretty Christmas tree. It's so much more than that. It's the beginning of a human history that is filled with power. Because peace is not the negotiations of humanity or compromises made by political parties. Peace is the presence of the living God that is so powerful that it can stop the storm. Peace is the most powerful weapon of heaven. Peace stands up and says, stop, and the storm ceases. You see, peace is not passive. Peace does not back up. Peace does not stand still. For the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. How? Not by hitting, but by surrendering. Nothing can defeat a love that surrenders itself for the opposition. Nothing. And I have watched as we've forgotten what Christmas means. It means that God has given himself to humanity who hates him and hates themselves. And this peace and this power comes and he rebukes the winds of this world. Peace be still. This peace, this revelation of the love of God. St. Augustine says, peace is far more than the protection from annihilation. Peace is far more than the cessation of hostilities. Peace is more than a state of mind or the tranquility on a countryside. Peace is a commitment to a way of life which precludes war and poverty, slavery, prejudice, or fear. Peace is never passive. It always pursues his presence. Peace is action. Peace is the fruit of the love of God. Peace be unto you, upon whom my favor rests. Peace will change a broken world. Peace will heal the trauma of the world. My peace, not as the world gives. My peace I give to you. And no one can take it away. That peace that is found. That peace that will crush the enemy. Peace that passes all understanding. It's higher than the intellect of the most educated. Peace that requires the capacity to forgive. Peace that demands a readiness to be generous. Peace that requires the attentiveness to the vulnerable and to the unproductive. Peace that calls for humility in the face of exaltation. Peace that desires to be last in a culture that demands to be first. See, this is the peace of the kingdom of heaven that will have no end. That we pray be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, in the world there is no forgiveness. In the world, there is no generosity or humility or willingness to surrender one's right. But the kingdom of heaven that's within us, it declares, let the peace of God rule. 
and have dominion in your heart. It demands that I love and forgive and I'm generous to those that share different views from me. Peace draws me into harmony with every image of God, with everyone that's seated in this room or around this world. Peace is not a philosophy. Peace is a person that calls us to live in the reality and to practice that way. If I could have stopped there, I'd have probably been okay. But then in John 20, he comes back to the upper room, he follows them to Galilee, and he looks at them and says, hmm, Peace be unto you, as the Father sent me, so I send you. If I could have stopped a sentence before, I could have just allowed this to be my philosophy. But if I have to read John 20 and move from the scene of his birth to the scene of his departure, now then he looks at it and says, I send you, Quentin. I send you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers enforce a law that was written to protect my point of view. Peacekeepers enforce a law that protects me from you. Peacemakers. There's a difference. Peacemakers never try to defend their point of view. Peacemakers never try to protect themselves from you. Peacemakers make peace by dying to self. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. Not people that just simply pray after me. Not people that simply claim to believe in Christ. But people that manifest the Prince of Peace in the year 2021. People that move into the traumatized, into the broken, and say, listen, I'll share and carry that weight. How many times have you walked out of a room, they felt great, you felt bad because you took that pain. Listen, you don't get to move in the gifts of healing until you're willing to take the pains of the people upon yourself. Most people want to move in the gifts of the power and displays and they'd have nothing and no awareness of the reality that when you pray for broken people, you feel every sense of that brokenness. People ask me all the time, how do you know when to pray for people? When I hurt. It's that simple. When I hurt. Because I suffer with those who suffer and I rejoice with those who rejoice. There's no way to move in the presence of the Spirit and not feel the pains of the outcasts, the downcast, the broken and the marginalized. Peace on earth. And he left. Listen, the Prince of Peace that announced by angels of his coming left you and you and you he left you he left me when the philosophy becomes a practice suddenly you'll catch yourself in mid-sentence hmm I don't think that's bringing peace I, I've caught myself responding to an email and went that's not peace I've literally nearly stopped posting on Facebook because it's not peace. 
suddenly you'll find yourself recognizing that that doesn't make peace. And if it doesn't make peace, I can't live there. Can I just tell you, there's so much of the world that I cannot engage in. I have found that there's very little in the world that I can engage in because I, I have to live on the shores of peace with the waves and the wind because guarding the peace on the inside. He said, if you think on these things, the God of peace will guard your heart and your mind. Peace on earth upon whom my favor rests. Can you feel that peace? Peace is powerful. That peace will guard you. That peace will be transferable to our children from generation to generation to generation. That peace is never passive. It calls you to action. Make even your enemies be at peace with you. I'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. I find myself today unwilling to move into those areas of thinking that I once did because it's not very peaceful. Whosever house you enter into, I've done this. When you enter into a house, just, just release the peace of God to it. Just, I've walked out many times and it came back. But sometimes it stays. You do understand that we can change the geography and the topography of the world by just taking peace into that area and just letting it be. Peace on earth, in your house, in my house, in that school, in that place. If there's an inner transformation there'll be an external manifestation of the peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I was looking for a way to show this to you in, in picture form. And I love history. And I remembered a story of World War I, 1914, Christmas Eve. Oh, oh. 
Ein Britter kommt! Ein Britter kommt! Jim? Jim, don't, don't do it! Halt! Hey. Er ist nicht bewaffnet! Nein, Otto! My name is Jim. My name is Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. It's schön. It's schön. instrument Lord make me an instrument of your peace where there's hatred let me sow love where there's injury let me sow pardon where there is doubt faith where there is despair hope where there is darkness light where there is sadness joy O divine master grant that I may not seek so much to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive, and it is in the forgiving that we are forgiven, and it is in the dying that we are born to eternal life. Let your peace rule in our hearts, Father. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time.